for tuning in to the Archive, brought to you by the Mail Tribune. I'm Alyssa Corman, and I'll be sharing the news with you from 100 years ago in this splendid city of Medford and Jackson County at large in 1918. This week, the council has been busy. It seems a mystery has finally been solved. And finally, we get a letter from one of our boys over there. So stay tuned for all of this and a few more stories. Hunting season is now in full swing, and boy, are there some beauties out there. C.E. Talbot returned home last Saturday from a deer hunt of several days in the mountains and won the distinction of having bagged the largest buck brought out of the coast range in several years. The animal was a beauty, and his horns contained seven points. The buck weighed 275 pounds. Well, it might have taken longer than anyone could have predicted, but finally, our council confirms Timothy as chief of police. The recent appointment of George Timothy as chief of police was unanimously confirmed by the city council last night as was the appointment of William Garrett as patrolman on the police force. Mr. Timothy has been acting chief ever since his appointment as head of the force by Mayor Gates several weeks ago, which appointment failed of confirmation at that time. Much routing business was passed by the council at last night's meeting, including the granting of free water to the night packing company for the season, the granting of a license to Miss May Robinson to conduct a rooming house on South Grape Street, and the issuing of an ultimatum to S.S. Bullis to at once make repairs on the paving at the intersection of Main Street and the Bullis Railroad. Ever wonder what our boys see from day to day? Well, wonder no longer. The official film depicting the war is coming to the Page Theater. For a year, the United States government cameramen have been busy registering the activities of our soldier and sailor boys on thousands of feet of motion picture film. As a result, the people of Jackson County will have the first chance on a fine day this September at the Page Theater to see what has been done by our boys up to date, over here and over there. The picture is controlled by the Committee on Public Information and the government gets part of the proceeds. Pershing's Crusaders is the title of this first official government feature film of war, and it really constitutes a motion picture history of our first year at war. A successful effort has been made to picture the government's handling of the gigantic task of preparation for war. The recruiting of our army, the building of huge cantonments, the clothing and feeding of our troops, the making of arms to equip them, the building of enormous shipyards, and the rapidity with which ships are being built and launched. You will see our boys in training, fleets of airplanes in dizzying flight, our great floating fortresses on vigilant guard, our swift destroyers searching the sea for the hated German periscope. The greater part of the picture shows our boys, maybe your boys, in France. It follows them along the road to the front. It shows the vast stores of munitions and supplies flowing like rivers through the quaint French villages up to the front line trenches. 
It depicts the first American field gun to throw a shell into the German trenches. The first American troops entering and occupying a first-line trench. The first batch of German prisoners taken by our soldiers. And the first baptism before a battle. It seems a great mystery has finally been solved. Remember that good old conundrum about the steel helmet mystery? Which you should have read about in our print edition on August 30th. Well, I'm happy to report that we can close the books on that one. After having laid in Medford Post Office for the past month awaiting a claimant, the steel helmet captured from a German prisoner by Leo St. Clair and sent by him to someone in this country, but which could not be delivered as the name and the address on the package while en route had become obliterated, will soon arrive at its intended destination. M.F. Sheets, rural carrier on route number one, happened to see the picture of Leo St. Clair in a Portland newspaper on Sunday, and an item under it to the effect that his mother at Sherwood, Oregon, had just received the powder bag which he had taken from a German prisoner on July 22, 1918. Assistant Postmaster Warner was at once notified by Sheets, and the helmet was forwarded to Mrs. St. Clair this morning. Leo St. Clair is a member of the 11th Engineers. Like I said at the beginning of this broadcast, the council has been busy lately. Not only are they making big decisions for our city's fine state of affairs, they are also watching out for every man's safety. Earl Reynolds, who owns and operates a taxi cab, was tried before the city council last night on the charge of being intoxicated while driving his taxi cab. He was found guilty and was placed on three months probation. If during this probation period he becomes intoxicated or is guilty of any misconduct whatsoever, his city license to operate a taxi cab will be automatically revoked. The council vote on this was unanimous. The councilmen, although having no doubt of Reynolds' guilt as charged, were loath to revoke his license without giving him another chance. Councilman Davis, however, before the vote was taken to place Reynolds on probation, declared emphatically that as a man and a citizen, he did not believe in whitewashing Reynolds and that he favored revoking his license at once. But that out of courtesy to the other councilmen who wanted to give Reynolds a chance, he would abide by the will of the majority. The charge against Reynolds was preferred by Chief of Police Timothy. City Attorney Fred W. Mears conducted the prosecution, and Gus Newberry appeared as attorney for Reynolds. Several citizens testified, and others were ready to come and testify against Reynolds if needed. While the accused was only tried on one charge, Chief Timothy declared that for some time past, Reynolds had been in the habit of taking parties to California towns several times a week and driving back to Medford in an intoxicated condition. He stated that many complaints to this effect had been made to the police, but that the latter had been unable until now to get the goods on him. Although admitting that he took a drink or two occasionally, Reynolds denied that he ever drove his taxi in an intoxicated condition. He declared, too, that he put in long hours daily with his taxi and many late-night drives, 
and that he had followed an invariable rule when tired and drowsy to stop at the side of the road or street and sleep or rest rather than run any risk of an accident. The specific charge on which Reynolds was tried last night was that about 9 p.m. Thursday, August 22, 1918, while in an intoxicated condition, he stopped his taxi at the side of the street on North Riverside near the Jackson Street Bridge and slept, leaning over the steering wheel. People in the neighborhood, after he had been in this position for some time, thought that he was dead and phoned the police that there was a dead man in a taxi cab. Before the police arrived, some men who passed by pushed the taxi to the Jackson Street Bridge and went away. Still later, another group of citizens passing by on the bridge and seeing the taxi with Reynolds in it, still asleep, pushed the taxi over the bridge to the cannery and awakened Reynolds. Also, one of the men found a bottle of whiskey in the taxi and took it away. In answer to this charge, Reynolds declared that he was perfectly sober, but was thoroughly tired out with a long drive and much loss of sleep from a week previous, and, in accordance with his custom, when feeling that way, had stopped the car on Riverside to rest up, and then had simply fallen asleep. Finally, a bit of light-hearted fun comes in from one of our boys over there. French barber shops are a novelty to the American soldiers. Here's what Lawrence G. Forsyth, 1st Lieutenant, Company E, 110th Engineers, writes to his parents who live in Denver. This morning I went to the barber shop, which I have done before, but never to such a barber shop as this. The windows were covered with lace curtains and the only indication that it was a barber shop was a dainty little sign, Corfair. I ventured timidly in and at the first glance thought I had walked into a session of the Russian Duma, judging by the much bewhiskered gentleman who greeted me. The floor was inlaid oak and the barber chairs were very similar to dining room chairs. Everything was very petite and dainty. After a few grunts, they discovered what I wanted, so they put a white kimono on me and the operation started. Powder puffs were used constantly and about 10 different atomizers of different perfumes and lotions. All this was six to eight hours ago and I still smell like a perfume factory. We're having lots of fun with the money. For 25 cents we can get about a million dollars in change. The boys are shooting craps with it and when one of the boys won all he can carry, his profits are anywhere from three to eight cents. All right then folks, that's all I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening. Remember, these news stories have been brought to you by the Mail Tribune, a weekly series featuring news items that were drawn from the archives of the Mail Tribune from 100 years ago. You can find more stories like this in the Mail Tribune 100 column in the newspaper or online at mailtribune.com. We also have a whole slew of other podcasts on a wide variety of topics. Believe me, you'll sure want to check them out. And also, be sure to follow us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube. If you like this podcast or have something you'd like to share with me, let me know in the comments or on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. Have a swell day and check back next week for more stories from the archive. Music